It's your radio, the future of radio. Welcome to Cinema Caroline, a cinema of the mind. To best enjoy the show, find a quiet, comfy spot and plug in your headphones. Adjust the sound so you can hear clearly and without strain. Now, let the sounds project a movie on the inside of your mind. Enjoy. Today's Cinema Caroline features two science fiction radio classics. First we will listen to Buck Rogers of the 25th Century, Episode 1, The Origin Show. It explains how Buck, a 20th century man, endured suspended animation and woke up 500 years later. This episode stands on its own except for a tantalizing loose end. A thread that leads to future adventures. Fortunately, the listener's curiosity can be satisfied because the whole series has been preserved online by an organization called the Old Time Radio Researchers Group or OTRR. Our second feature is The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury as produced by the 1950s radio show Dimension X. Dimension X was an anthology show that showcased some of the leading sci-fi authors of the day. The Martian Chronicles radio play amalgamates several of the short stories contained in Bradbury's collection. In both radio plays Mars is inhabited. It is interesting to listen to the predictions made for times that are now in our past. Listen to time references such as expectations for 1999. And now a little background on Buck Rogers of the 25th century. Let's hear what Wikipedia has to say about the Buck Rogers radio serial. Buck Rogers in the 25th Century was a radio drama series based on the popular novel and comics series Buck Rogers. It aired from 1932 until 1947 and was notable for being the first science fiction radio show. Buck Rogers was initially broadcast as a 15-minute show on CBS Radio from Monday through Thursday. It first ran from November 1932 until May 1936. In 1936, it moved to a Monday-Wednesday-Friday schedule. It went off the air the same year. Mutual Broadcasting System brought the show back and broadcast it three days a week from April to July 1939. From May to July 1940 a 30-minute version was broadcast on Saturdays. From September 1946 to March 1947 Mutual aired a 15-minute version on weekdays. The show was directed by Carlo D'Angelo and Jack John Stone. D'Angelo also produced it. Sound effects were provided by Ora Daigle Nichols. In 1988, John Stone recalled how he worked with the sound effects of Ora Nichols to produce the sound of the rockets by using an air conditioning vent. Dick Calkins who also made the comic strip, wrote the scripts. Matt Crowley, Curtis Arnold, Carl Frank, and John Larkin. All voiced Buck Rogers at various times. The beautiful and strong-willed Wilma Deering was portrayed by Adele Ronson and the brilliant scientist-inventor Dr. Hewer was played by Edgar Staley. And now let's tune into Buck Rogers of the 25th Century. Buck Rogers in the 25th Century! Buck Rogers is back on the air. Buck and Wilma and all their fascinating friends and mysterious enemies in the super-scientific 25th century. This program is brought to you by the makers of Popsicle, Fudgicle, and Creamsicle, those delicious frozen confections on a stick. Now I have a swell surprise for you. The famous winner of the typical American boy contest has now become Popsicle Pete. And here's a message from him. Hello, everybody. I sure am glad to meet you. And boy, am I glad I was picked to be the typical American boy. Because now I'm Popsicle Pete. I always wanted to be on the radio. And now I have a chance to tell you about some wonderful presents you can get. Free. Gee, you ought to see them. Hundreds of them. You get them just for saving bags from nifty Popsicle, Pudgicle, and Creamsicle. Some gifts. Even better than Christmas. You can get a wristwatch, a movie camera, table tennis, a wallet, a doll. Gee, lots of gifts. 
Just save the bags from pop- Popsicle, Crimsicle, and Fudgicle on a handy stick. Boy, did they taste good. Wholesome, too, and nourishing. Made fresh every day of the finest ingredients. The biggest five cents worth anywhere. And say, kids, get the free illustrated Popsicle gift list at your ice cream store. A free coupon comes with it, worth ten bags. And now for Buck Rogers and his thrilling adventures 500 years in the future. As you probably know, Buck was born right here in our own times, in this 20th century. And the story of how he got started on his amazing adventures so far in the future is mighty interesting. But instead of telling you about it, let's turn the dial that'll project us ahead in time and find out all about it that way. Now, the capital of 25th century America is Niagara. And there it is that Dr. Hewer, the great scientist, has his marvelous laboratory. In one room of it, he's working on a strange-looking device that sends a peculiar greenish light down onto a human figure lying on a table before him. Shall we join him there? Okay, then, here we go. 500 years into the future. Ray is putting you to sleep. To sleep. Relax and sleep. Sleep. Good. The lay's had its effect. Now I can go ahead. Uh, yes, yes, come in. Oh, hello, Wilma. Hello, Dr. Hewer. Hi, why don't you have more light in here? Coming in from outside, I can hardly see a thing in this spooky greenish glow. Part of a little experiment I'm conducting. Oh. But tell me, have you seen anything of Black Barney here in Niagara? Why, no. Hasn't given up his job of Prime Minister on Mars, has he? Oh, no, no. But one of his Martian rocket ship factories has worked out a new control device for me. I rather hoped he'd get here with it today. Oh. Meantime, I've made ready for a final test of this little invention here. Like to stay and see it? I'd love to, Doctor, and you know it, but I just dropped in to find out if you'd seen any sign... Oh. Uh, What's the matter? Doctor, what's happened to him? Eh? Is he all right? Doctor. I see. (laughs) What's happened to him? Why is he lying here on the table? Uh, Don't worry, Wilma. Don't worry. Doctor, what are you... He is offered to be the subject of my test. That's all. But then why is he... simply lying here, comfortably asleep, under the influence of my electro-hypnotic ray. Oh. I was afraid something had happened to him. Not a thing. Surely you don't think for a minute that I'd do anything No, of course not. But the electro-hypnotic ray... Are you sure this experiment won't hurt him in any way? Oh, absolutely sure. Well, you can't blame me for being a little shocked for a minute. <laughs> but what's that thing up near his head that looks like a miniature power plant with a loudspeaker on top of it? That, Wilma, is my latest scientific achievement. My newly perfected electro-hypnomentalophone. Your what? Well, you remember the mentaloscope, don't you? Sure. When you put a person under the mentaloscope, all his memory showed up on a sort of... Moving picture screen. That's right. And this is an adaptation of it. Oh. With this, the electro-hypno-mentalophone, the memories of the subject will come to us verbally, through the loudspeaker here. Provided, of course, that my calculations have been correct. Hmm. Sort of read a person's mind aloud, you mean? Yes, yes, that's it exactly. Where do you ever get ideas for things like this, Dr. Hewer? Surely people don't just barge in and ask you to work them out. Uh, hardly. <laughs> The scientific research and experimentation that led up to the development of this machine was started way back in the 20th century. Why, I always thought that the people back in the 20th century weren't much better than savages in what they knew about scientific things. Oh, not at all, Wilma. Oh, we owe a great deal to the scientists of those days. Were it not for the groundwork laid by men like uh, Einstein, Fitzgerald, Compton, Millikan, and the rest... Oh, we'd be without a great many of the things we have today. They never really got anywhere with rocket ship development or anything like that, though, did they? Well, successful rocket flight depends on two things that have been brought into existence only recently. One of them must be inertron. Yes, inertron. The material that defies gravity and makes it possible to lift a big spaceship off the Earth and away from its terrific gravitational pull without too much waste of power. And what's the other? Impervium. The only metal capable of withstanding the high temperature of rocket blast for any length of time. Uh, But now, let's go ahead with this experiment. Yes, let's. And you can tell me how this apparatus works as we go along, just what it does to them. Well, not very much to tell you about the apparatus itself, Wilma. Except that here, in this little pad under his head, is an extremely sensitive and high-frequency response piezoelectric oscillator of quite complicated design. 
I guess so. Yes. And I've succeeded in tuning it to receive the minute electronic impulses that emanate from his brain. Yeah. Through the medium of a super-radiating protonoformer. Oh, yes, I... Oh, what? In other words, we're able to obtain sufficient amplification of the impulse output to register audibly through a process of thermionic note magnification. Uh, that's all there is to it. I, I think I'll understand it better when I see this thing work. Hmm. I should be very much disappointed if it doesn't. Oh, don't you worry about that, Doctor. Your inventions always work. I have been rather lucky in most of my experiments, haven't I? <laughs> lucky? Well, now let's proceed with this one. All right. Anything I can do to help? No, thanks. First of all, we'll have to switch in the electroniformer. Gives the electroniformer a sort of eerie sound. Yes. And now, when I switch on this microphone and speak to him, my words will be registered directly on his brain. Not through his ears, you understand, but directly on his brain. Uh-huh. And if we're successful, we'll receive his subconscious response through the loudspeaker. Go ahead, Doctor. Now... Young man, what is your name? I... I said, what is your name? Buck Rogers. Will made works. But, Doctor... They're my invention's a success. But, Doctor, what happened? It works even better than I thought it would. He didn't move his lips, though. And how could we hear him talk if he didn't move his lips? It read his mind aloud, Will May. It read his mind aloud. It sounded right like his real voice, though. Well, of course. Because he thinks of speech in the same manner that he utters it. Great day, it doesn't seem possible... Ask him some more questions. Yes, yes, by all means. Listen. Buck, you were born back in the 20th century, were you not? Yes, sir. But this is the 25th century. Do you see, Wilma? His memory's preserved intact. May I ask him a question? Surely. Go ahead. Go ahead. Buck. Buck, how did you happen to come to the 25th century? One day in the year 1919, I was in the lower workings of an abandoned mine near the city of Pittsburgh. Yes? All of a sudden... The supports that held up the walls and ceiling gave way, and the whole thing caved in on me. Yes? Some kind of peculiar gas was released. It put me to sleep. It kept me in a state of suspended animation for 500 years. Then the ground shifted and let in fresh air, and I woke up. Well, how did you know you were in suspended animation for 500 years? Instead of the year 1919, it was the year 24-something. To be exact, it was 24... How did you know what year it was? I was told about it by Lieutenant Wilma Deering, a beautiful girl soldier I met when I first met her. Oh, then you knew uh, Wilma Deering. Oh, I certainly do. <laughs> She's the finest and bravest girl who ever lived. Yeah. Uh, Buck is... Rogers? Uh, yes? Uh, did you, uh, did you find anything new and different when you first came into the 25th century? Oh, a great deal, thanks to Dr. Hewer. Dr. Hewer? The greatest scientist who ever lived. Uh, what, what, what's this? Nowhere in the universe is there a scientist who's done so much good for humanity <laughs> or done anything that can even <laughs> no, 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 wait. Uh, wait a minute, Buck. Um, yes? Uh, just uh, forget Dr. Hewer and go on with what you were saying. But he's the man who invented the first rocket ship that took us to the moon. And it was that trip that proved the practicability of interplanetary flight. Practicability of interplanetary flight? Nothing wrong with this machine, Doctor. <laughs> where else have you gone by rocket ship, Buck? First to Mars, where we helped King and Aldo put down an invasion by the Martian Tiger Men. Yes. Then to Saturn and the Saturnian moons, Venus, Jupiter, and okay. even far off Pluto. Which planet did you find most interesting? Well, that's hard to say. Jupiter has the biggest field for exploration simply because it's so much larger than the rest of the planets. Very true. Uh, do you expect to do any more rocketing around through outer space? Well, there's nothing else I'd rather do, sir. Well, Wilma, do you like my little contraption? Oh, it's wonderful, Doctor. I told you it would work. Well, is, uh, is there anything else you'd like to ask, Buck, before I turn off this green ray? Uh-uh. Let's wake him up and see if he remembers anything that happened during the experiment. All right. Go ahead. All right. Come on, Buck. Wake up. Huh? I say, wake up. You've been asleep. Mm. Sleep. Uh-huh. Oh, hello, Wilma. Hello. Hey, where'd you come from? What are you doing here? I've just been let in on the test of Dr. Hewer's electro... Uh, uh... <laughs> Electro-hypno-mentalophone. Yeah. Oh, and doggone <laughs> it. Instead of helping you with your test, I fell asleep. Say, I'm awfully sorry, Doctor. Sorry? Oh, yes, sir. I was going to help you. I put you to sleep with this machine. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. 
Well, I guess that's one on me, then. Uh, How did it work? Even better than I expected. Oh, good. Oh, it was marvelous, Buck. You told us your whole life history without even opening your mouth. Hey, now, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, 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 it's, it's all right, Buck. You, you didn't say a single thing you shouldn't have. Oh, thank goodness for that. Uh, let, let's put Wilma under it. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, you have to do something for excitement around here. Come on, Wilma. Oh, you're never satisfied unless there's something exciting going on, are you, Buck? Oh, it's not as bad as all that, Doctor, but... Things have been sort of slow around here lately. And... Wait until we start making tests of the new type of gyrocosmic relativator I've just devised. A new one? Isn't that the equipment on a rocket ship that makes it possible to take off without much loss of time for pickup? That's right. And without the usual physical effects of too quick acceleration. It removes from your ship the normal effect of weight and inertia and momentum and the like. Well, how have you uh, improved the relativator, Doctor? Buck, if this new instrument does what I hope it will... There'll be practically no limit to the speed of a rocket ship immediately upon taking off. Good night. Imagine getting into the control cabin, opening the power lever, and going a couple of thousand miles an hour just like that. That's exactly what we'll be able to do, Wilma. Boy, that hardly seems possible, does it? But uh, when can we test it out, Doctor? Have you already got it installed on a rocket ship? Uh, No, Buck. As a matter of fact, I I don't even have it yet. Huh? Oh, it's been made up all right. Uh, The one we use for the test, but it isn't right here yet. I don't understand, Doctor. Well, yes, sir. Can't we get it here? The sooner we can get it and start trying it out, the sooner we can break the monotony of just sitting around here doing... Wait, Doc. Listen. Yes, Doctor. I hear it, too. Oh, yeah. Hear it? Yes, sir. But what under the sun is it? Look here, out of the window. Look, here's Wilma. And it's coming right down this way. Wilma! Say... Buck's wish for excitement certainly came true in a hurry. Great day. I wonder what that was. And I certainly hope he and Wilma and Dr. Hewer are all right. What do you say, Pete? Well, I know what would make me feel all right. A great big frozen fudgicle. Jiminy, can you imagine anything better than that fresh, creamy chocolate fudge, frozen ice cold on a stick? Fellas and girls, what's the best, purest, biggest nickel's worth you can get? Right, a fudgicle. Delicious and full of healthful energy. Made only from pure milk products. Swell to eat and easy to digest. And don't forget to save the bags for those wonderful free prizes. Exciting gifts like cameras, dolls, sweatshirts, gorgeous jewelry, and lots of other things. Now listen, kids. Be sure to get your free popsicle gift list at your ice cream store. Don't take no for an answer. And that brings the first episode of Buck Rogers to a close. We can well guess that Buck and his friends survive to have adventures another day. If you want to hear some more of Buck Rogers' adventures in the 25th century you can find the whole radio series online at the Old Time Radio Researchers website. And now some words from our sponsor. Wouldn't you like to do something cool and exciting? Whether you're a veteran show host, or someone who's never hit the airwaves, we, want, you. Join the family at It's Your Radio today. Visit the website at www.itsyourradio.com. All it takes is a computer with the internet and some software. Voice calls are powered by Skype. Create your dream show. Be the host you want to be. We are here to support you. The best part of It's Your Radio is 100% the people. They back you 100%. Get a free website and blog for as long as you're on the air. You're able to use a subdomain on your choice of itsyourradio.com or iyr.me. If you want to bring your own domain along, that's an option too. Every site is a beautiful creation from our in-house designers, the same team from Clearly Logic. From the server standpoint, we use the best servers powered by a Ford account. We're a huge family, really. So, you get to host a show, you get a blog, and you get to be part of a family. It's your radio, as you covered from broadcast to podcast. What more could you want? Join the family today. Do something amazing with us. 
It's your radio. The future of radio. Thank you and now back to our show. Our next feature is The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury as presented on the radio anthology series Dimension X. Dimension X was an NBC radio program broadcast from April 1950 to September 1951. The first 13 episodes were broadcast live, and the remainder were pre-recorded. Fred Weah and Edward King were the directors. Norman Rose was heard as both announcer and narrator. The Martian Chronicles is a science fiction short story collection by Ray Bradbury that chronicles the colonization of Mars by humans fleeing from a troubled and eventually atomically devastated Earth, and the conflict between Aboriginal Martians and the new colonists. The book lies somewhere in between a short story collection and an episodic novel, containing stories Bradbury originally published in the late 1940s in science fiction magazines. The stories were loosely woven together with a series of short, interstitial vignettes for publication. The Dimension X version first aired on August 18, 1950. It is an adaptation that includes elements from many stories in Bradbury's book. Now let's take a trip through time and space. Into Dimension X. My transcription. It's National Wheaties Week! Yes, it's National Wheaties Week, and Wheaties present Dimension X. On stage tonight, Dimension X, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. It's National Wheaties Week. The week to buy Wheaties and eat Wheaties and enjoy them as never before. The time to really find out what difference a good breakfast with Wheaties can make. You know, you're getting protein when you dip into a bowl full of Wheaties. You're getting whole wheat minerals and vitamins. You're getting whole wheat energy. Yup, there's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. That's how a better breakfast, beginning with Wheaties, can help you step lively all morning long. And that's why all over this big country, folks are celebrating National Wheaties Week and stepping lively. So how about it? Get out the big cereal bowl and help celebrate Breakfast of Champions. Pour out those golden flakes, put on the milk, put on the fruit, and let's have National Wheaties Week. You ready? Let's go. Tonight, Dimension X presents The Martian Chronicles, a dramatization of the new novel by one of our most brilliant young science fiction writers, Ray Bradbury. The Martian Chronicles. January in the year 1999. One minute it was Ohio winter with doors closed, the panes blind with frost, icicles fringing every roof, children skiing on snowy slopes. And then a long wave of warmth crossed the small town, a flooding sea of hot air. William McClellan, you come back here. You know you can't go out in winter without a cold. You want to catch your death of cold? But it isn't cold. It's warm outside. It's rocket summer. Rocket summer? You know, like Indian summer. The rocket lay on the launching field, blowing out pink clouds of fire and heat, cracking the icicles, melting the snow, making summer with every breath of its mighty exhausts. It seared the faces of the watching crowd and drove them back. And then they saw the red fire and heard the big sound as the silver rocket shot up toward Mars and left them behind on an ordinary Monday morning on the ordinary planet Earth. lived in a house of crystal pillars on the planet Mars by the edge of an empty sea. 
And every morning you could see Ila eating the golden fruits that grew from the crystal walls, or her husband sitting alone in his room reading from a singing metal book over which he brushed his hand as one might play a harp. Ila and her husband were not old. Once they had liked painting pictures with chemical fire, swimming in the canals when the wine trees filled them with green liquors and talking into the dawn together. But no more. Marriage sometimes makes people old and familiar while still young. And Ila was not happy now. This morning she sat dreaming between the crystal pillars and wished that somehow a miracle might happen. And then suddenly... Ila, did you call? No. I thought I heard you cry out. Did I? I was almost asleep and had a dream. In the daytime? Hmm. You don't often do that. Strange. How very strange. I dreamed about a man. A tall man. Six feet tall. Oh, absurd. He'd be a giant, a misshapen giant. I know. And yet, somehow, he looked quite handsome. He was dressed in a strange uniform... And he came down out of the sky in a long silver craft. Out of the sky? <laughs> what nonsense. He spoke pleasantly to me in another language. But somehow I understood him with my mind. Telepathy, I suppose. A really ill. And he said, I've come from the third planet in my ship. My name is Nathaniel York. A stupid name. Who ever heard of a name like that? Perhaps they have names like that on Earth. That's ridiculous, Hila. Everyone knows the third planet is incapable of supporting life. There's too much oxygen in their atmosphere. I suppose. But haven't you ever wondered if... Well, wouldn't it be fascinating if there were people there and they traveled through space in some sort of ship? Oh, really, Hila. You know I hate this emotional wailing. Well, let's get on with our work. <laughs> Evening came. The twin white moons of Mars were rising, and the house closed itself in like a giant flower. A wind blew among the pillars, stirring Ela's russet hair, crooning softly in her ear. And it was then that she began singing the song. Drink to me, only thine eyes. What's that song? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I've never heard it before. Did you compose it? No. Yes. No, I don't know, really. I don't even know what the words are. They're in another language. It was part of the dream I had, I guess. Oh. You know, you haven't been yourself lately. It might do you good if we went away to the Blue Mountains for a week or so. Uh, what? Did you hear what I said? I'm sorry. I was watching the sky. You're certainly interested in the sky tonight. It's very beautiful. Well, what about my suggestion? Shall we leave for the Blue Mountains in the morning? You mean go away now? Oh, no. No? Why not? Why don't you want to go? I don't know. I just don't want to, that's all. Oh, leave the Ila, I'm sick of that silly song. It's late. Let us sleep. From the crystal walls poured a soft carpeting of mist to support Ila where she lay down to sleep. But through the night she tossed restlessly until just at dawn the dream recurred. Ila, Ila, wake up. What? Oh, what is it? You've been dreaming again. You talked in your sleep. Did I? Yes. What were you dreaming? Oh, the ship. It came from the sky again. And the tall man stepped out and talked with me. <laughs> Telling me little jokes and laughing. What else happened? And then this, this Captain York... Oh, I can't. It's all so silly. Tell me! He said I was beautiful. 
And then he kissed me. I thought so. What else? Why, Eel, you're so bad-tempered. It's only a dream. Is it? You know I can read your mind. You can't keep secrets from me. Well, all that happened was this Captain York told me... Well, he told me he'd take me away in his ship, into the sky. Take me back to his planet with him. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous, really. Ridiculous, is it? You should have heard yourself. Pawning on him, talking to him, singing with him all night. In your dream, he landed in Green Valley, didn't he? Please. And he told you he was coming today. Yes. But what's come over you? It was only a dream. You can't be jealous of that. No, no, I suppose not. Forgive me. I'm being childish. Ian, you're sick. You've been working too hard. No, no, I'm all right. But perhaps you're right. Maybe I could use a little relaxation. Yes. I think I'll take the morning off and go hunting. Hunting? Yes, in Green Valley. Numbly, she watched him go to a closet and draw forth an evil-looking weapon. And then her husband was gone, walking toward Green Valley. And Ela waited watching the sky for an unknown thing, trembling with a nameless fear. And then it happened. A whirring, rushing sound. The warmth as of a giant fire passing in the air. The gleam of metal in the sky. He's come! It's true! The dream is true! The rocket vanished over the hill. The sky was empty again. And trembling, Ela waited again, looking toward Green Valley and seeing nothing listening for sounds and hearing nothing, until... A shot sounded, very sharply, the sound of the evil weapon. Oh, no. No, no, no. Her body jerked with the sound, and she wanted to scream and never stop screaming. For now she knew the dream could never come true. And there was nothing left but the song, the strange and fine and beautiful song. Drink to me only with thine eye, and I will pledge with mine, or leave a kiss within the cup. <laughs> But still the rockets came. The next ship came down from the stars and the black velocities and the silent gulfs of space and landed by night near a Martian city. The men made their way to the outer rim of the dreaming city and then Jeff Spender went in to reconnoiter while the others watched and waited, waited for something to stir in the haunted city, some gray form to rise, some voice to break the unearthly stillness. Where were the people? Where were the Martians? Nothing stirred to disturb the silence until... Halt! Who goes there? Don't shoot! Hold it, Parker. Let's spend her and his party. They're coming back. Captain Wilder! Over here! Well? Captain, we've searched the city. People were living here last week. People? Martians. Where are they now? Dead. Dead? What did they die of? You won't believe it, Captain. Chicken pox. Good Lord, no. Yes. No resistance to an Earth disease, I guess. So the other rocket did get through to Mars. It looks like it, Captain. God only knows what the Martians did to them. But at least we know what they did to the Martians. You mean they're all dead? Yes. This planet is through. Hey! You hear that, guys? We're safe. <laughs> Break out a bottle, Cookie. Let's have a drink to celebrate. Stop it, Parkhill. Put down that bottle. Ah, what's eating you, Spender? The planet's ours now. We got a christener, don't we? <laughs> I christen thee the city of... Uh, I christen... Hey, Parkhill City. Parkhill, I warned you. Uh, oh, yeah. All right, Spender, that's enough. 
That'll cost you a $50 fine. Crookie McClure, take care of Parkhill. Spender, you come with me. All right, Spender, why did you hit him? I don't know, Captain. I was ashamed, I guess. Ashamed of Sam Parkhill and the noise and the spectacle the whole crew is making. It's been a long trip. It's only natural they'd want to have their fling. Yes, but where's their sense of what's right? Their respect for what's happened here? Captain, a race builds itself for a million years. Refines itself, builds cities like this one. Does everything it can to give itself respect and beauty and... And then... It dies. Of what? Not anything fine or majestic or fitting, but... But a dirty little thing like chickenpox. And Sam Parkhill wants to celebrate. I know, Spender, but you've got to remember you've a different way of seeing things. I'm seeing things all right. I'm seeing what we'll do to Mars. We'll rip it up, rip the skin off, ruin it the way we've ruined our own planet. Captain, look at the city. It may be the last time you'll ever see it this way. Beautiful in the moonlight, isn't it? Yes. There's a poem by Byron that describes it. And how the Martians would feel tonight. If there were any... Any of them left to feel. So we'll go no more a-roving so late into the night. Though the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. For the sword outwears its sheath and the soul wears out the breast. And the heart must pause to breathe and love itself must rest. Oh, the night was made for loving and the day returns too soon. Yet we'll go no more a-roving by the light of the moon. Without a word, the Earthmen stood and looked at the city. The bottle lay shattered at Sam Parkhill's feet. And the sour stench of liquor filled the cool air. The men of Earth had come to Mars. Dimension X will continue in just a moment. It's National Wheaties Week. Yes, the week when everybody tries Wheaties, even an orchestra leader. And here he comes from behind the scenes in radio to help celebrate National Wheaties Week Mr. Von Dexter. Thank you, Frank. Hello, folks. I understand this is National Wheaties Week. I can't get a kick out of that. The only breakfast food in the world with a week of its own. And I'm here for just one thing, to ask you to try Wheaties during National Wheaties Week. There are a lot of us whose voices you've never heard on the Wheaties' big parade of radio programs, you know. Backstage people. Like musicians. Right, Frank, like musicians. We'd get great pleasure from knowing you like these programs well enough to buy a box of Wheaties tomorrow. Wheaties are good. They're nice to eat. I like them. I think you will. Try them once during National Wheaties Week. Will you do that? Vaughn, I think the folks will. Good. Thank you. Good night. The men of Earth came to Mars. They came because they were afraid or unafraid because they were happy or unhappy, because they felt like pilgrims or did not feel like pilgrims. The government posters screamed, there's work for you in the sky, see more! The men shuffled forward, all kinds of men, all coming for different reasons. The rockets came like drums beating in the night. They came like locusts swarming and settling in blooms of rosy smoke. Mars was a distant shore, and the settlers spread upon it in waves, first the pioneers and builders, then the people of civilization. Some came because they were afraid of a coming war on Earth. Some came because they were afraid of nothing. Some came to escape from the smell of the subways and the cabbage tenements. And some came from houses like the one in Ohio. It was a good house, the house in Ohio. 
And for six years, the family had lived there contentedly, enjoying music and poetry and the rich, warm things of life. For the house had been built to be lived in in the year 2020. It contained all the latest automatic devices, from talking book recorders to singing clocks. As the family rose and dressed, the beds whirred electronically and made themselves. In the kitchen, the stove sighed and ejected from its warm interior eight eggs, sunny side up, twelve bacon slices, two coffees, and two glasses of milk. Seven, nine, breakfast time. Come and dine. Seven, nine. Beside the breakfast table, the facsimile machine clacked and deposited the morning paper on the table. The headlines today spoke ominously of the danger of a coming war. And the man frowned as he read the news. Today is August 4th, 2026. Insurance, gas, and atom heat bills are due. And today, remember, the family has planned a picnic. Gee, Dad, are we really going? Sure, Timmy, why not? It's raining out. It's not raining where we're going, son. Now run upstairs, pack your fishing tackle. We're going on our picnic, all right. Okay, Dad. Bill, are you sure we ought to go? Yes. Have you seen the headlines this morning? Looks bad, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The rocket's ready. All we have to do is pack and take off. I know, but... Well, flying to Mars, it seems so crazy. Well, all right, then we'll go. Should we tell the children why we're going? No, not yet. Let them enjoy the picnic. <coughs> The house went on with its appointed tasks. 9.15, time to clean. 9.15, time to clean. Out of the molding darted hundreds of tiny mechanical mice, all rubber and metal. They sucked up the dust and dirt in the house and popped back into their burrows. In the walls, relays clicked. Memory tapes glided under electric eyes. Recorded voices moved under steel needles. 12 o'clock. Evening came. In the living room, the hearth fire bloomed out of nothing, and the phonograph spoke from beside the fireplace. Mrs. McClellan, what poem would you like to hear this evening? Mr. McClellan, since you express no preference, I shall select at random from among your favorites. Sarah Teasdale, There Will Come Soft Rains. There will come soft rains and the smell of the ground and swallows circling with their shimmering sound, and frogs in the pool singing at night, and wild plum trees in tremulous white. Robins will wear their feathery fire, whistling their whims on a low fence wire, and not one will know of war. Not one will care at last when it is done. Not one would mind, neither bird nor tree, if mankind perished. And spring herself when she woke at dawn Would scarcely know that we were gone The phonograph finished the poem But there was no one there to hear For the family had gone to Mars On the Martian desert beside the highway, there rose a blare of red and yellow neon lights that spelled the death of Jeff Spender's dream. Sam's hot dog stand is what the sign read. And Sam, of course, was the same Sam Parkhill who had fought with Spender years before. 10,000 rockets were reported leaving soon for Mars with 100,000 hungry customers. And Sam wanted to be ready for them. Hey, look up there, Elmer. Mm -hmm. See that green star up there? That's Earth. Ah, good old wonderful earth. <laughs> Makes you feel almost reverent, don't it? Yeah. Sammy, you're hungry and you're starved. Uh, something, something. That's a poem I learned in school. <laughs> Come on, earth, Sammy, your rockets. Here's Sam Parker with the only hot dog stand on Mars. <laughs> Sam, what if the rockets don't come? 
What if there's a war on Earth? Ah, don't worry. They're coming all right. Ain't nothing going to happen to spoil my plans, baby. I figured it all out. Sam! Hey, Sam, look up there! Earth! Oh, what? Oh, no. It's catching fire. It's burning. Oh, no, no. That can't be Earth. Helma, they can't do this to me. I got all our money invested (laughs) in this place. Go ahead, Sam. Switch on more lights. Turn up the music. Get the hot dogs on the fire. There'll be another batch of customers coming along in about a hundred million years. Oh, no, it couldn't be. What a swell spot for our hot dogs, Sam. Let you in on a little secret, Sam. This looks like it's going to be an off-season. The light beam radio crackled with the news. By morning, the shelves of the luggage store were empty, and the rockets were blasting off, headed back to Earth. In a few days, everyone was gone, and the planet of Mars once more lay deserted and silent. And then, after all the rest had gone... One last rocket landed on Mars. A small, family-sized rocket come all the way from Earth. It seemed a long way to go for a picnic, but Dad had suggested a fishing trip, and Mother thought the whole family would enjoy a vacation. So here they were, floating down a Martian canal, with Timothy sitting in the back of the boat with Dad and Mother up front holding Alice the baby, and the deserted Martian towns drifting slowly by. What is it, Timmy? When do we see the Martians? You promised we would. Soon, Tim, soon. Oh, but William, the last Martians died out years ago. They're a dead race now. Not quite. Don't worry, son. I'll show you some real live Martians later on. Gee, this is swell. I wish we didn't ever have to go home. How long can we stay? A million years. A million years? Yes. It's time we told you, son, we're not going home. This is where we'll live from now on. But what about the rocket? What about Ohio? There's nothing there now but ruins. The last Earth radio just went off the air. That means the war is over and Earth is finished. We're going to blow up our rocket and start all over. See if we can't build a better world up here. You mean Mars is going to be our home? Yes. I hope you don't mind too much. No, sir. But what about the Martians? When do we get to see them? There they are, son. Look down at the water. I don't see anything there. Beside the boat. Look at the reflections in the water. But but that's us down there. Just you and me and Mom and the baby. Yes, son. You see, we're the Martians now. For a long, silent moment... Timmy stared down at the reflections of the family in the waters. And the Martians stared back up at him. Then he lifted his eyes to the deep ocean sky, trying once more to see Earth and the house he had always called home. But Earth was too far away, and the house was now only a heap of radioactive rubble. Only one wall remained standing, and within the wall a voice spoke again and again and again. Not one would mind, neither bird nor tree, if mankind perished utterly, and spring herself, when she woke at dawn, would scarcely know that we were gone, 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 that we were gone. Today is October 5th, 
Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Jack Cuny. In a moment, we'll tell you about next week's show. And now, here is your Wheaties man, Frank Martin. Go out and get the Wheaties. It's National Wheaties Week. Yep, this is the week everybody's trying Wheaties. See yourself how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. A better breakfast beginning with Wheaties can help make a wonderful difference because there's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. So eat happy, work happy. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. Get yours. Get yours. It's National Wheaties Week. Next week, the strange and chilling story of the parade. The parade that suddenly turned into a funeral procession for the world of tomorrow. The world of... Dimension X. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen on Saturday, that's tomorrow night, to Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. Remember, it's National Wheaties Week. Swing your partners right and left. It's National Wheaties Week. Come on, everybody, to the Wheaties party. Eat a lot of Wheaties like the champions do. Dance together cheek to cheek. This is National Wheaties Week. Eat a lot of Wheaties like the champions do. Wheaties, a breakfast of champions. The preceding was transcribed. And so ends the Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury as presented by Dimension X. As we listen to this fiction a real-life rover makes its way across the Martian surface. Are the Martians watching? Maybe they are. You have been listening to Cinema Caroline, Cinema of the Mind. You've just listened to an IYR original program. It's your radio, the future of radio.